0: The Great Cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean,
1: dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the Great Cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as
2: possible. At all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully. Count the number of dot balls in a row. Sledge 15 olds Make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Great Cricketer Podcast. Welcome back to the second week of this special South Africa series. And my oh my, how special it's been because the gift that keeps on giving, and I am talking about Dave Warner, has once again sprooked his head and given us as much content as we can. Uh, or that is possible, rather. Uh, my name is Ian Higgins, stumbling through this introduction. I'm joined as ever by Sam Perry and Dave Edwards. It's a big show for the boys this week because Ed Cowan has announced his retirement. Friend of the show, Ed Cowan, who will be coming a little bit later. So we're going to celebrate his career and also perhaps get his thoughts on uh, on some things happening in the world of cricket right now. But in the meantime, much to discuss because um, I'm, I suppose we'll just start with the sledging, which couldn't have happened at a worse time for this podcast because it was literally happening as we were recording last week's episode. But for some reason the news cycle has stayed true and helped us out, and we're still talking about the sledging. Dave Edwards, thoughts?
3: Oh, well, here goes, and great to be with you both on the podcast. But you'll remember, obviously, last week, we did talk about how mateship is ruining cricket. Players from different countries are playing in T20 tournaments together, getting to know each other, and that was just bad mm. for cricket. And then literally the next day, as our podcast comes out, both these teams nearly it blows over a sledge. they got quite personal in nature. I don't think this is what we were calling for, but these two teams aren't mates anymore, are they? <laughs> no, they're not mates. Pez?
1: Well, uh, uh, hello everyone, and it's great to be with you guys too, in case you uh, weren't aware of that. But um, <laughs> let's let's also not forget, it is ESPN Champ Week. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, and it kind of forget. doesn't surprise me then that as that week has commenced, we got this news about Dave Warner and uh, everything else surrounding it. I mean, I, said, I came into work, and this was kind of hot on the heels of Australia, performing very well in this test match in a cricket sense. And by cricket, I mean, you know, the actual bat and ball element of it. But that's not the story anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I got into work and all of the UK guys just rolled their eyes and said, gee, you guys are, you know, can we say cunts? Yeah, you're cunts. <laughs> <And>, um, <laughs> you guys. And we all, we all carry that. We'll put the explicit rating on this week. Uh Ooh. because that's how we're seen, isn't it? Um, Because that's how we play our cricket. We play it hard. What I want to ask you guys is, do we like it deep down? Do we like it? Are we proud of it? Or are you a (laughs) wowser cuck?
2: (laughs) 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 Sam Perry's coming out throwing punches. Like, he's sick of being bodied on this podcast, and he's thrown some (laughs) shots early. Um I just think that... I think the big takeaway from this is just, like, uh, you know, if I can just skip to everything and just, what's my takeaway, which isn't a question yeah, that you ask, yeah. but let me just answer my own question that I've given to myself. Please. And just the big takeaway is just... This is just grown men saying mean things to each other. Like, that's all yeah. it is. Like, you know, like... Mean boys. The fact that... It's, it's mean boys, yeah, at, in whites with it's zinc bit, on their yeah. faces and egg. Mm. But, like, I just think that, you know, like, people have sort of, like... They, for some reason, felt like they've had to take sides over, like... Yeah. You know what Warner, Warner was saying, some stuff, but it, like, you know uh, Decock, you know, made it personal. He crossed the line. <laughs> but like,
4: yeah.
2: th- for me, um, Warner was like sledging this bloke for like an hour on the field, and then it's tea. <laughs> and you think like, okay, maybe just call cool your heels, maybe have a scone, maybe just a nice cup of you know Earl Grey mm. over tea. He's like hammering him as he's walking off the field, calling him a fucking sook. He's like carrying on going up the stairs. Decock says one thing, and okay, it's it's not a good thing. But it's like you're sledging a bloke for literally 90 minutes, walking off the field, you say one thing, what the fuck did you say, mate? Like, And then just like to be oh, actually man. having to like being held back. It's like, yeah. you know, glass houses, David, really. Yeah. Well, you can say anything you want but that one thing, don't you dare
3: cross that line, that imperceptible line that only Dave Warner knows and understands. I guess sledging, you know, it, it, it has been a part of cricket since the very beginning. I mean, I'm sure... WG Grace was fucking ruthless, dishing out convict banter, trying to try and get on the Australian skin. But it's 2018 now, and we're still talking about what blokes talk about on the field. And it just fascinates the imagination. There's so many column inches dedicated to it. I saw Peter Fitzsimons came out, which just shows you that something's jumped the shark massively. Um, but it just, you know, things really shouldn't get personal on a cricket field, but they do, Jesus. don't they? They just
4: do. <laughs>
1: Is oh, that? I mean, look at like we are just we're so fascinated in cricket, and everyone is by the social dimension. I mean, if ever there was like um, evidence that the game was actually boring, it's this, isn't it? Like we just care about who says mm. what to whom. Mm. Um, who said and what? And it's, it's this great thing, isn't it? Like let's let's have it right. Like Australia has created this whole. And I'm going to say this whole paradigm of sledging. Mm. Without mm. Australia, this doesn't exist. Right, and so, and mm. I love this scenario where, like, we invent this thing where we think there's this necessary condition to winning. Mm. It's not yeah. like a couple of blokes who just go a bit too far because they can't handle it. That's no, mental like,
3: disintegration. Or we,
1: we only win when we abuse people, right? Like yeah. abusing people is this important thing we've got to do. Like, make no bones about it. Like they, they think they need to do this mm. to win. And then so we, what we do, we do it, and we introduce it to other normal people who who oppose us in games. And one or two mm. of them are going to come back. And say something go, well, hang on, no, that's not the rules. Sorry. But if you're gonna create the if you're gonna create the game, you're gonna have to die by the sword, you know, that, that you struck out with.
2: Hmm. I just love this, like this, this like fascination of sledging because it's just like it's it's what it's what you can't see. This like creates this deep fascination. It's why man travel to the moon. Mm. It's why we keep going to the bottom of the ocean just to see what's down there. It's why men are so fascinated by lingerie. What we can't see and like we want to we want to know. We have to know. That's why lingerie sales are skyrocketing. Is what I'm saying. Lingerie is yeah, yeah. exactly the same thing. That's all I'm saying. I'm now working for yeah. a PR company.
1: Um, it, 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 uh, it's one of those things, though. He goes, isn't it? Sorry, mate. Um, that's where like, oh, this this does happen at grade level. I, I believe oh, yeah. that the culture starts from the top. There's no revelation in that. But like, how often when you play cricket, and anyone listening to this show who's played cricket will surely identify this, mm. at least if you're from Australia, but how often when you play cricket, you might have made 30. There might have been some very interesting reverse swing bowling going on. But really the first question is, what are they saying out there? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's it's awesome. awesome. you're I, I don't care what it's going off saying? the
1: pitch. Just tell me what
3: he said to you because I'm frightened of that. I remember Pez. Yeah. I look, I've been sledged so many times, but one particular one sticks in my mind. Not for the content because I won't go into that because it was, you know, disgusting and can never be repeated again. But I made the, you know, the innocent <laughs> mistake say, of though? bringing an ex girlfriend to my match at North Sydney Oval. She was up there sitting in the vacant McCarthy, or McCartney stand, I think it is, or the Bob stand, the one on the, on the side. Yeah, you'd know better than me, Pez, playing at number one a lot more times. Duncan than I did. Thompson, whatever it was. Anyway, yeah, she was up there. She was there. There was no one around her. And some bloke from the other team, it was not very obvious she was there to watch me because she'd walked up as I entered the field. So all the team, the 11 players there, I'd watched as their heads rotated towards the the stand. And Mm. then Mm. I was just subject to about five minutes, because that's about as long as I batted, of relentless sledging about who and whom slept with my girlfriend at the time. I mean, they all gave me really good handshakes after the game. A lot of eye contact. Well played, mate. But come on, blokes. Come on. Really? Do you need to do this? Does this help? I actually got run out, so you didn't get me out. I got myself out by taking a shit single. So didn't, you didn't get me?
2: Mm. You know, just, <laughs> I just find like there's something about once you walk onto the field of a cricket match and you, and you can wear your your long white pants and your comfortable floppy brim and you can have some zinc on your face. Uh, then and only then can you say some of the most horrific things you wouldn't, you wouldn't dare dream about saying in real society. Like, mm. for instance, if you walked up to, um, say, uh, you know a 16-year-old um you know shelf packer at Woolworths and you said to him you're the worst fucking bloke I've ever seen I fucking hate you <laughs> like you would be forced out of the store and perhaps you know forced to shop at Aldi for instance for, for at least a year <laughs> but on a cricket field like it's just good aggression you know it's just like no. you, you're having a role in the he team he plays tough but if you see you say this shit out like in the real world you know this is you know this is essentially why they're now our walkout laws because they're one punch victims
1: I, 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 like I realize what you're doing there. He goes, but like I, I find the idea of someone telling me on the cricket field that they hate me to be like quite emotional. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're sort of I hate you, I mate. Fucking like, hate you. <laughs> it's a very strong emotion. It is funny, isn't it? How you just have this in Australia anyway. There's this mm. um culture that exists where all of the normal rules of society and um, conduct between people is thrown out the window and i think this does actually link to the australian side because what then happens in that pack mentality and smith's talked about it is that somebody in this you know in this alpha cesspool of alpha men is Mm. going to try and be the most abusive, you know, because that's what happens in social dynamics, right? Someone has Mm. to be the sledger and, you know, we see Australian cricket lauding the attack dog. I got given Mm. the attack dog role. Like, it's this great um, kind Mm. of uh, medal, you know, bestowed upon this player and so everyone competes. (laughs) Eventually, eventually, it it turns into what we saw the other day. I mean, you just push, if you just keep encouraging it, you're going to push someone to say something back. So, I I just I don't understand the hand-wringing and the kind of moralizing over um, how bad Decoq's thing was. I mean, we, we created the monster.
2: Mm-hmm. Pez, um, I really enjoyed the, the angle that you took briefly on a, on a tweet, um, if I can beat up your own social media presence. Um, in that, like, but Australia feel like this works. Like, this works. Like, that's why they keep doing it. And they're going to keep doing it. Like, mm. uh, Tim Payne said in the press comments at the beginning of this test match, we're not going to change anything. We're not going to change the way we go about it. Like so, there's still like, even though this has created this massive furor, they're still going to go about it because they believe that not like Australia is lauded for having this great bowling attack and you know the, the best bowling attack going around in the world at the moment. Yet that's not good enough because you have to say really mean things to the opposition. You know, if if, the, if your best bowling attack in the world perhaps ever can't get the batsman out, you just say mean things to them.
1: Oh, there's so much within that as well, he goes. Yeah, I think I said, like, so long as Australia believes that verbal hostility is key to winning, then this stuff will keep happening. And like, it's funny because verbal hostility is quite a complex thing. Like, there are, cer- I think there are certain people who have the maturity to understand w- how to use words to kind of distract or um, get under the skin Mm. of somebody without needing to kind of directly abuse them. But as we can see in the Australian side, there are certain people who probably lack their maturity to know what is kind of um, just direct abuse and what might be uh, sort of witty or cunning. Uh, Mm. And so, but, but the thing is you can't, I mean, it's not that you can't blame the people who are abusing. It's just if you create that paradigm or create that culture where verbal hostility is a necessary condition mm-hmm. of success, someone, you know, these guys, these guys are in their 20s. Like, they're still kids, you know, emotionally in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. someone's just going to say, like, you're going to continue to get guys who sledge and swear and abuse, and, and this stuff will keep happening, and you know, and then I'll keep going to work, and people will keep saying Australians are cunts. Mm-hmm. F- you know? It's
3: been happening successfully for so long for Australia. If you look back to sorry, when did things get really alpha for Australia? Probably the seventies under the Chapel reign, mm. and then progressively more and more alpha border war, mm. and, and now to present day. Look, I just think mm. that there's just a culture of sledging, yeah, and, and breeding results. So, and you look back to what Brad Haddon's performance in the last World Cup, where he was, you know, sledging relentlessly the New Zealanders, the nicest blokes in cricket. And successfully, he won a World Cup, and he didn't shy away from that. So I think it's just systemic, isn't
1: it? Can, can we can we ask? So I mean, let's be honest. Um, does it does it work? You know, just say let's say every other condition is the same, is exactly the same, and the only variable is abuse versus no abuse. <laughs> um, do you think it makes a difference? I'm going to say yes. I do. Actually, I yeah. think we, when you go in as opposition, and people are being a, a genuine, like a being deliberately unfriendly to you and unwelcoming. That it does it yeah. does impact you psychologically, uh, but the question is: Does the moral dimension outweigh that? You know, like uh, is there a moral dimension that should be higher than that from a cricket perspective? Now I'm a cuck mm. because I've said that, yeah, and I'm a, a wowzer, you know, in Australian cricket culture. I, yeah. Snowflake. I think
2: that's a really interesting point, <laughs> point, Pez. But I think that I think it does work, and I think that. Because of the the margins that you're playing with at that, at that elite level, and especially in a game like cricket, where not only like you, you you know being an alpha is important by having a good rig, but it's such a fine motor skill sport, reaction times, that's that sort of stuff, you know, technique, all that kind of shit. But like at that level, if you have a guy who's and this is what Steve Waugh said at the time when he introduced to society this mental disintegration idea that if a batsman's distracted by one percent by something that a, a person is saying to him on the field, then it works, mm-hmm. and I mean, this isn't just a thing that, like, you know, Steve Smith has introduced. This this is something, as Eddowes rightly points out, that Australia's been doing for probably 30, 40 years now. Um, and it's just escalated probably because of things like stump microphones, exposure to players. Um, you know, like, we, we know more about Dave Warner as a, as a personality, to, you know, just to, just to keep picking on him. Um, <laughs> so I think it's just more in the public eye now more than ever.
1: It's funny you say that, he goes, because... Look, I agree, and I just think most people understand that if they're abused in their workplace, they probably wouldn't perform as well. But I also do like resist or object to the idea that like what the Australians are doing is some kind of psychological masterclass. Um, because mm. let's look at when it actually well, let's look at when it actually rears its head on a cricket field. It's when the Aussies are fucking pissed off. That things yeah. aren't going their way like it's people it's people letting go of their anger yeah. like, like giving into their anger and um and they start abusing people and, and they might say look there's actually something there's a there's a deeper professionalism going on here there's not again these guys are in their 20s and they've just got the shits when the de Kock thing happened it was because <laughs> markram and Decock were was scoring a lot of runs it was the same thing with Sawan and mcgrath yeah. they, they just start abusing them so they, look i don't think that they're um they're, they're gonna say yeah this is actually a tactic. It's a ploy. You can see the steam coming out of their ears. They're, they're, they're affronted that someone has bothered to stand up to them. You know,
3: there's such a pack mentality about sledging, though. I mean, I don't. Is there any other sport where there are so many people on a field who aren't actually participating in the play? Because you've got two batsmen and you've got one bowler, and then you've just got ten Call blokes. Them question time. Ten blokes who are just watching. <laughs> like they can't influence the play, and they're crowding around the bat, They're getting in blokes' eyeline. They're trying to influence, and how else do you influence other than that? Well, you talk, you say things, and you try to disarm and, you know, rock the batsman into making a mistake. And that's yeah. your influence. And you can fucking hold your hat on that yeah. at a of play, even if you got a duck <laughs> and took none for 80. You got that bloke out with that bloody good sledge. You fucking got under his skin because yeah. he said something really mean about his mother. <sighs>
1: 100%. And, like, like the cultural cachet that is attached to being the great sledger in your side, like, can't be underestimated. I mean, surely you guys have experienced that at a grade level. Like, you know, it's the – um. I, I know I keep using this C word, and I apologise to anyone, especially mm. my employers, if they're listening to this. But, um, you know, you always hear in Australian cricket, it's like, you know, but he's got a bit of f- about him. And, you, and we kind of laud <laughs> that. So like, it's like he, it's He's got this capacity to it? be an absolute dropkick of a person, and we're going to reward him and yeah. his place in the team for that. Like, I still remember my dad saying to me, when we were watching... Speaking of question time in Parliament, like, well, I was watching it with my dad once, and he goes, mate, don't worry about Australian sledges. These guys are the best sledges. These are the pro sledges. When you just hear people in the corner of Parliament, you're just calling yeah. something out. So now I'm imagining... like, Imagine <laughs> you had the Australian cricket team on one side, you know, the opposition versus, like, the government of the day. I just wouldn't mind seeing... I'd I tune into that. That's a TV show.
2: That is a TV show. Fuck, <laughs> oh, that's uh, funny. Uh. Well, I mean, this is um, this has now sort of gone off the field as well because, obviously... I think it's well-versed. I mean, people who listen to this podcast are men and women of the internet, so they have the capacity to, to know exactly what Quentin the Cock allegedly said. But um, this has now spread to uh, South African officials posing in a photograph with uh, with some blokes from the crowd who decided it'd be hilarious to turn up to the ground in Sunny Bill Williams masks. Mm. It's one of those things that only happens in cricket. Why do people dress up for the cricket? It's fucking embarrassing. And also, it you know, must be grim going to a test match dressed up in like full face paint, full kit. Like, it, that, that's one of those things that's funny for, like, 15 seconds, and then you're like, oh, okay, there's just three sessions of cricket left. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. Um, so there's some, there's two officials, and we'll speak to Brand, uh, Dan Bredig in just a moment's time, uh, who will tell us that, or uh, well, give us an update about what's happening with those Af- South African officials. But um, it's a weird thing for these these blokes to do, and um, if, if I can just carry on this monologue, but um, Gideon Hay, a friend of the show, Gideon Hay, was on uh, ABC mm-hmm. Offsiders this morning, and he actually uh, was talking about Uh, The ICC Code of Conduct, I mean, as we know, Gideon always is talking about the ICC Code of Conduct, but he was citing um, uh, Section 2.2.4. That's actually actually incorrect, Gideon. It's actually 2.2.8. A man of such uh, caliber should be doing better research. But, you know, I I do a podcast, so I know more than Gideon Hay. But 2.2... Point eight uh, of the ICC Code of Conduct, a couple of them are still talking, says (laughs) using language or gestures that is seriously obscene, seriously offensive, or of a seriously insulting nature to another player, player support, personnel, umpire, match referee, or any other third person during an international match. Now, that's like uh, Gideon's point uh, was that these officials were doing exactly as uh, section 2.2.8 of the ICC Code of Contact were doing, and he was suggesting that James Sublin should be pushing for, uh, you know, for, for these guys to be punished. What are, you
1: guys, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on these South officials posing? Oh, I mean, it is so dumb, and it's disgusting, mm. really. it's not, There's nothing more. I mean, you don't have yeah. to look at this in a binary way and say, oh, well, Warner Coster and all this sort of stuff. Mm. Like, it's mm. utterly disgusting. Like, I mean... The state of someone who thinks that putting on a mask like that and what it, it's supposed to represent—I mm, can't yeah. even like you know again. I'll, wa- I'll let me wowzer it up big time, but it's just disgusting. Mm. Like uh, yeah. you know, cricket does have this capacity to attract absolute fucking dickheads yeah. <laughs> around, yep. and how these guys, the South African cricket officials, saw it as cool to do that um, is, mm. is beyond me. It's 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 fucking strange.
3: You'd hope that they immediately realised it was a terrible decision that they'd done. Um I mean, it probably happened very quickly. These guys came up to them in Sunnybill Williams masks. You know, you don't learn that on the job. You know, there's no uh, induction, you know, for your new job that's going to tell you that these blokes are going to rock up with a sunny Bill Williams mask and confront you like that. Mm. Um, so maybe yeah. they were taken aback, but to kind of be pictured smiling and, and to be a senior official at, at Cricket uh, South Africa, um, yeah, I think heads need to roll there and, and justifiably so. Mm.
2: Yeah, I'm sort of one... I'm, I tend to agree with you there, Edos, and I'm not someone who, who sort of, like, calls for heads when, you know, a politician makes an error or, you know, someone makes a, a mistake at work or whatever. But, you know, just in terms of, like, if... You know, if I'm one of those guys who has a Sonny Bill Williams mask, like, I don't know any fucking Cricket Australia officials unless it's James Sutherland, you know, you know, walking up to him. So I am I'm, I'm tend to... Think that these guys knew the officials, like they were friends yeah, of must these have been African officials, the most for mates or something. To then to walk up, so it's almost like it's um, it's it's quite predatory in a way. Like it's it's sort of pre-planned and like, it, it's mm. it's fucking mental. And I completely agree with that language that you use, Pez. I think it's fucking disgusting. And like for for these blokes to have a job come um, Monday morning, I'd be astounded because it, like yeah, any any professional working in that field, uh, you know, at a high or well, the highest ranking, uh, you know, cricket. Uh, job in the country in South Africa like for them to make a, a, a you know a, a judgment error like that is just ridiculous anyway um i feel like we've done justice to uh this sledging uh debate i don't know how it's still in the uh in the lexicon but it's still part of the conversation uh, obviously it's very difficult to talk about the test match going on right now because as we are speaking day 3 of this second test match has, has occurred and anything that we say is going to be redundant so uh to that point uh Dan is going to be coming up and then we are going to be celebrating Ed Cowan's career with great friend of the show Ed Cowan Big day?
5: No, big night. I've got to clean up the last two wickets, sing the song, do the covers, sing the song, drink 42 beers in the sheds, have a shower, sing the song, publicly objectify my teammates' rigs, compare sizes, tell everyone how good I was when I was 17, go to a strip club, lie to my wife, then spend all of Sunday being an emotionally absent father and husband. (sighs) Big nights start
1: with grade cricket. Lying to yourself has never been harder. Well, we have a debutante on the show today, uh, but a great friend of the show, nonetheless. He's the assistant editor of Crick Info. I'm talking, of course, about Dan Bredig. Dan, welcome to The Great Cricketer.
0: It's a proud moment in my career, boys.
6: <laughs> 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 and, our, and ours, <laughs>
1: too. Uh, Dan, <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah, we have great memories. You interviewed us many years ago and released our first book, but uh, it's great that we can finally return the favour and interview you. You're in... Port Elizabeth at the moment, uh, you know, the scene of the crimes taking place, the salacious off-field crimes in Australia versus South Africa, alpha battle of uh, of this test match series. Um, can you tell us what it feels like in the press box at the moment with um, so much uh, sledging <laughs> going on?
0: Well, I mean, one thing that's happened in the press box uh, at this match so far is that uh there's uh, someone who was there on day one who's no longer there. One of the uh, the two South African officials caught with the uh, the fans uh, wearing the Sonny Bill Williams masks. Uh, he's been summoned back to Johannesburg to uh, explain himself, and uh, he's got a fair bit of explaining to do. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit unusual um, the way things have panned out. There's um, certainly uh, always a bit of heat between Australia and South Africa, but I feel like, uh, yeah, the, uh, the use of... Um, the media on both sides of the fence really has uh, has ramped up a fair bit.
1: Can you give us a bit of an insight, Dan, into like what happens to press relations, for example? Because a lot of you guys are mates and stuff, but you are you you are still of nations. I mean, what, what happens with you and your colleagues, your South African colleagues, when it becomes this kind of tit-for-tat battle uh, between who said what and who said the worst thing?
0: Well, there's always a bit of banter. Uh, certainly uh, yesterday morning when I came to the ground i was uh i, I bumped into ken Borland to uh one of is one of the south african uh journos and uh, loves a bit of a, a wisecrack every now and then and i made sure i searched him for sonny bill williams masks before he came into the press box <laughs> um so <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's that sort of biplane dancer that uh, that tends to um uh, tends to bubble to the surface but then of course you know you will you will occasionally have differences of opinion on a more serious level about how the way things are um are covered i mean one of the things that is Great about working um, for Info is that I'm here working alongside Vedas Munda, and I've generally on a tour, I've got a colleague who's who's um, based in the other country, and so you get a bit of a balance of views, and you can test if you've got a story idea um, or you've heard something, you can you can you can test that by going via your colleague to um, to see what the view is on the other side of the fence, and I think occasionally with other organisations where they're just from the one country and they're just writing to a degree for that one country, um, things can be a little bit, uh, not skewed, but it's handy to have that ultimate perspective.
1: Mm. We, um, we're we getting a, a picture sort of, I mean, I'm in the UK, Dan, and these guys are, are back in Australia. We're getting a picture that it's particularly vicious at the moment. I mean, is that your feeling there as well? Is it is it bad? You know, where, where does this rank in uh, the, you know, umpteen sledging wars that Australian cricket's been involved in?
0: Well, at this point, I'd say uh, this is getting... It's not quite on the monkey gate level. It's not quite 7 08 in Australia because, you know, you had genuine threat of, uh, of an Indian touring team going home there. Uh, so that's, you know, that, that's um, uh, maximum alert level. Uh, this is uh, probably the next uh, tier down from it. But I don't... I can't think of another series where there's been sort of Issue upon issue upon issue, sort of cascading, um, uh, you know, uh, one after the other. And even in the last 24 hours, the uh, the the uh, the ball tampering, as I used the, uh, mm. the the Christopher Pine inverted commas symbol, um, <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, David Warner. So, uh, and you know, ironically enough, at the at the same venue uh, four years ago, where there was another. Uh, ball tampering for Argo. so uh, yeah it, it seems like every morning you wake up there's something
2: new Dan do you reckon that this is I mean Australia would have planned for this entire series about the way they go about it I mean obviously they they sledge every team and I like to think that they sledge every team equally mm. but they they would have known that that the South Africans were going to give some back but do you think that this is going well for Australia like this, this sledging tactic, this aggressive line of you know alpha versus alpha, but like on the field, like like th- is this what Australia wants? Is this the outcome that they wanted?
0: They certainly don't want a situation where the CEO of Cricket Australia releases a statement about their behaviour. I, I think mm-hmm. that's um, that's probably the uh, uh, if you, if you're talking about uh, crossing the line as, as the Australian team loves <laughs> to do, uh, that's probably a line they don't want to be crossing all that often. Um, and that I think is this is really the first time I've heard. Um, that sort of dialogue um, since Gate, since 200708. So that's a, that's an interesting sort of cross-current here. Um, certainly, when Australia plays South Africa, I think they feel that uh, not that they've got license, but that South Africa play cricket in the most similar style to them of all the teams around the world. So it's uh, you know they, they probably um, they probably put a few more um, uh, a few more shots in the locker, as it were. Mm.
2: So let me Again. ask you this, like sorry, Ida, can't just go on. Um please. There's there's um a comment that Steve Smith made to cricket dot com last month. Um and it was talking about uh, Kagiso Rabada, and it said it could perhaps be a plan to try and get him fired up. You never know what some guys do when they're fired up. He's obviously a quality bowler and a big player for them. You don't want to, you don't want to see guys getting suspended or anything like that. You want to come up against the best, but you never know. I mean, this seems like a pretty direct um, tactic by Australia to get. Rabada fired up because they knew that he was on the edge of getting a suspension, and now he's like, he's, he's taken the bait, and he's basically brushed shoulders with Steve Smith, which looks pretty, pretty innocuous, but when you combine his demerit points all together, he's facing now a two-game ban for the rest of the series. So, I mean, this seems to me like a pretty um, decisive move by Australia to try and get blokes suspended, even though Steve Smith says that that's not what they're trying to do.
0: Well, as we know from Kagiso Rabada, the, the best tactic that you can possibly use to him, uh, to get him fired up, is to get out to him.
2: So uh, you
0: know, in that sense, on the first day of this day. Australia did a wonderful job, um, at in uh, the uh, in the firing line of the umpires and the match referee, uh, I, I think there's um, you know certainly uh, something I'd say about Steve Smith as the Australian captain generally, not just in regards to, to this instance. Uh, he's pretty honest about what um, you know, what he's thinking and and, and and what his intentions are if you ask the right questions. Um, you know he he's certainly not someone who's going to uh, wrap things up too much in um, well Australian cricketers use a lot of euphemistic language for the way that they talk on the field, but in terms of uh, the fact that this is the system that they have now there are demerit points players are going to skirt close to the uh, the edge of suspension if they accumulate some. Uh, he was I think being you know quite. Um, admirably honest. That uh, you know, that's a, that's an element of the game now. And, and to be fair to uh, South Africa, uh, that diplomacy said pretty much the same thing about David Warner entering into this match.
3: Yeah, Dan, uh, we just spoke off there a little bit about, um, I guess, the the history of a South African cricket. Um, and you mentioned before that Australia and South Africa they're quite similar, I guess, in their, their attitudes and their aggressive play on the field. But I'm just wondering about. How you're finding it there? You're on the ground. You're kind of immersed in South African cricket. What, what, how, can you kind of explain South African cricket to us and the role that history plays in it?
0: Yeah. Well, it, the, the the first thing that strikes you when you when you get here is that none of the grounds have changed really at all in 20 25 years. So uh, you know the the um, the stands are all the same. The vantage points are all the same. Even you know stuff like the breezes coming in um, through the the various gaps in the in the grandstands. All of that sort of stuff is is unchanged. The wickets. A little bit different um, in each, each in each venue with uh, with time and tide, um, but yeah, there's a sense of the unchanged here, which is very different to to Australia. Like if you if you close your eyes and imagine the, the cricket grounds Australia were playing um, international matches on at home in the mid 90s. Um, there's very little that's the the same. I compare the Gabba then to now or or, or compare the SCG and certainly Adelaide Oval then to now, and we didn't have Perth's new stadium. So there's an element of the unchanged, um, and that can feel really nice and and, um, nostalgic, but it's also a reflection that cricket is not as big a deal here in terms of the overall, you know. Soccer is by far the biggest sport in South Africa, rugby has an enormous following particularly amongst the africana population uh and uh, so for instance when you're in we were in durban for the first test uh kingsmead um is a is a nice you know small ground but then you've got um two massive stadiums right next to each other one for soccer and, and one for for rugby with capacities of 60 and 50 thousand and they got about Forty thousand to a Super Rugby game on the um, on the Sunday. It was the Waratahs playing um, of the Test match. So uh, you know the, the the place of cricket in in South African culture and in South African uh, popular appeal is a little bit more marginal than um, than Australia. And, and in turn, that makes it all the more remarkable how successful the South African um, mm. Test side has been.
2: Well, all I'm saying, Dan, is like as long as they don't start bringing fucking Vuvu Lasers into the grounds like they did for the 2010 World Cup, I'm so oh, my headache has only just dissipated from then. Um, but can you tell us about the band that was playing all day yesterday for day two? This is being recorded on the beginning of day three, but day two there was a band playing all day to the point where the umpires wouldn't resume play because <laughs> until the band stopped, what was that about?
0: Well, you talk about, I talk about continuity. That's the band, the Port Elizabeth House band, basically, that's been here, uh, since, you know, since as long as anyone can, can remember. It was the absolutely consistent theme of Mark Waugh's hundred here in 1997, that the band kept going and going and going, and uh, as he's uh, subsequently said a few times, drive him mad, but I, I suppose in, in some ways that was the, uh, that was perhaps the sledging that kept him um, kept him concentrating. Uh, but yeah, it, it's um, it's just a part of the, the ambience of the, of the ground, and it was quite extraordinary to to see the umpires uh, uh, after a a decision uh, against Hashim Amla that, uh, that Kumar Rasini got pretty spectacularly wrong uh, mm. to um, to motion to the band to to shut up because we can't we can't hear now. Uh, Matt Boucher, I think, brings a very good point that. Um, Port Elizabeth, however loud that band gets, is never going to be anywhere near as loud as Eden Gardens or, mm-hmm. or any of the grounds really in India when things are really heaving. And uh, one thing I've always loved about a cricket ground is that it's not tennis. You know, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a sport where everyone is expected to be quiet the whole time and the cricket mm-hmm. goes on nonetheless. And, and I think, um, yeah, perhaps that was a bit forgotten yesterday.
3: But if mm. someone fucking walks their dog in my eye line when I'm batting, I will be fuming. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's something that never changes. One little thing.
0: Look, I'd love to see. I'd like to see the band just try to walk across the side screen, see what see what happens there. That that'd be quite <laughs> amusing. Um, but uh, you know, um, I, I think the. Uh, yeah, the 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 the, um, the the back and forth between the umpires and the band after tea yesterday uh, really did get quite amusing. Particularly um, when uh, the uh, the band and the and the fans surrounding them started to sing the South African national anthem. It was you know it was a bit of a little bit of a sort of a fight the power kind of moment.
1: <laughs> well, well done umpires and well done cricket. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us, mate. Um, that was that was great. We'll definitely have you back, and I appreciate the insights into what's happening in uh, in Port Elizabeth.
0: No worries, guys, and, um, yeah, keep, uh, keep circuiting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You sound like you've read that that from a piece (laughs) piece of paper. (laughs) Uh, We'll follow you, Dan. Thanks, mate.
0: All right, no worries, guys.
1: Lads, we
2: talk about friends of the shows all the time, but really there's no better friend of the show than our good friends Budgie Smuggler. Budgie Smuggler, I mean, if you want to be the most alpha version of yourself, don't worry about what you're wearing on the post-match circuit or even on the field or even, the, even matching kit, although that is very important. Worry about what's underneath your clothes, and I'm talking about wearing Budgie Smugglers on the field, on the circuit, and wear them in your heart as well.
1: <laughs> he goes wonderful introduction mm. i love that this is going to get more and more addy as it goes on but let me talk about bungee smuggler <laughs> no I mean, I mean seriously small small aussie company started in a backyard all their mm. swimwear is made in australia um but yep. they can ship it anywhere they can and the, i think the thing that they want to talk about is custom smugglers so it's not just this mm. uh, they're not like the old speedos for example am i allowed to say mm. a rival brand Um, Mm -hmm. I guess they'll let me know, but Mm -hmm. uh, you don't get told what design you have, or you don't get, you you can pick designs, but you can also design your own custom smugglers. Um, You'll see them Mm -hmm. everywhere. We've obviously got to get a great cricketer one sorted mm-hmm. out. I think what we say we'd have last week? The bat and a ball and maybe a shower in there I or something triple, like that. I but said the triple
2: C. C. I said century circuit shop. That's all I wanted yeah. to know. Yeah. I think as well as for some reason, and Edos, you can probably back me up on this, all the great institutions in Australia start in the backyard. I'm talking backyard right. cricket. I'm talking bungee smugglers. I mean, just probably two of those, but you know, to be fair, the shoey maybe, that probably started in the backyard. Mm.
3: Oh, no doubt it did He goes, Look, at anything that starts in the backyard is right in my book. And I think anything that lets you assert your identity <laughs> as well is right in my book and you know by custom making your own instead of budgie smugglers whatever you might have put on them you can really kind of make an impact at your club and i think that's the real takeaway for all you gradies out there
2: how (laughs) long does it take to make the custom smugglers
1: it takes four to five weeks ian uh to make whatever design you want they're all made in australia um and that's budgie smugglers au. are you
5: upset that no one comes to watch you play cricket Are you tired of no one appreciating you for the talented third grader you are? The Cricket Family is the first program dedicated to helping people like you feel relevant again. We have a database of over 1,000 out-of-work actors who can come to your games and masquerade as your friend, girlfriend, wife, parents or grandparents, helping you create the perception that the people close to you actually care about what you do.
4: Ah, great shot, Jason!
5: Son, the cricket family,
3: helping cricketers feel relevant once again. Well, he goes, We say that he's a great friend of the show, but mm. it's more than that. It's more than that. It's basically the fourth member of the great cricketer force we're talking about. <laughs> the recently retired man, he scored 10,097 first class runs, 25 centuries, 143 matches. 18 tests, batting average of 41.27. We've got to get through the numbers here. Mm. Most importantly, a high score of 136 against the Sathers. So never know if that's racial or not. In 2012, we're very pleased to welcome Ed Cowan to the show. Mate, welcome.
6: Welcome back, I think you need to say.
2: The most or important statistic hurt. there, Eddowes, is that this man has now been on the show four times. So um, we, we realise that we're taking up a lot of your, your, Sunday, your Sunday evening, um, Ted, but uh, thanks very much for coming on the show, mate. Uh, I suppose the, the, the biggest reason we've got you back is because you've made the big announcement um, to just just focus on your grade cricket. Um, so how, was, how hard was it to make the decision, mate, to, to call stumps on a, on a glittering career?
6: Uh, well actually, before we get into that, I think it's worth noting that when I saw there was a new series of the podcast, I thought, well, we need to give you some material, so I decided to retire. That, was, that obviously played heavily into the I'm thought process. So you guys would be, you'd be stuck, and you'd be asking me on the show anyway, because you don't guess, so we might as well talk about something. Uh, but it's, look, I've been thinking about it for a while. I'm 35, so I'm a no spring chicken. Um <laughs> And, you know, it's nice to to go out when people are sort of saying, oh, you know, you could have eked out another year or five. Couldn't really. Mm. Wasn't doing much at the bat. So it was time to uh, give it away.
3: Did you think about eking out anymore? I mean, when, when did it happen? When was the moment that you just went, yeah, I'm, I'm calling a press conference. <laughs> when did When did that moment yeah. take place?
6: There'd been a bit of a build-up, to be honest. Um, and even speaking, that you know, here goes over Christmas. The structure of the, the Aussie summer these days—you only played two games before Christmas, and then you have ten weeks off, and then you you start the Shield season for five weeks again. Mm. Sort of felt like I'd given up a whole year to not do much. Um, so,
2: as you shield. get a
6: lot of, can, can you justify doing this again? And the answer probably
2: was no. Basically. Mate, I don't, I don't want to keep harping on the point, but like, I mean, as you say, like the the structure of the season now is such that it's just like it's really hard to get into a rhythm these days, because um, sort of the, the shield aspect, as you say, is broken up into a couple of bits. But like, mate, how how instrumental was the decision at the beginning of the year where you were sort of left out of the New South Wales side, and and you know decisions were made to you know play some 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 younger blood, um, you know, in those earlier shield games, and where you were left out after obviously such a great season last year, where you were leading run scorer in New South Wales Player of the Year. I mean, like, how, how heavily did that impact on your decision now to, to say that'll do?
6: Yeah, it, it, it was a pretty big impact, to be honest, in a sense that that probably got me thinking. Uh, yes. I probably thought the end of next season would have probably been about time, I think, at the start of this season, I'd sort of come in thinking maybe if I can just sneak a few hundreds in at the start of the season, maybe I could... You know, play a little with Ashes cricket, and that's such a massive carrot. So to have Mm. that sort of ripped out, Mm. um, sort of started the Mm. the process of, you know, maybe I am the old bloke who's who's clogging up the system. Um, Maybe it is time to actually start thinking about this. So I would say Mm. that probably started the ball rolling, Uh, and then it it sort of it snowballed from there.
3: And it was an intervention by Steve Smith as well. I mean, the the captain of Australian cricket to kind of, I guess, intervene and, and make sure that I think it was Daniel Hughes was opening the batting because they saw he, a future for him in Test cricket. I mean, coming from the top, that, that must have
6: influenced. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty clear message. It was pretty black and white. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. All right. It was well, very black. I mean, like we we're sort of uh, you know started on a on a tone of like how this all ended, but I mean, th- there's so many things that you've achieved in the career. I mean, you, you've done everything that pretty much every boy playing in the backyard wanted to do. I mean, you, the amount of test matches you played, and the tours you've been on, etc. It's been a wonderful achievement. But like, I mean, what what's a couple of the things that you sort of take away from it is, is the 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 Shield victories down in uh, down in Tassie, or playing for New South Wales, or even those test matches um, here and abroad. Yeah,
6: it's a uh It's an interesting question. I think my first sort of reflections have have been pretty overarching of, you know, rather than the moments that people might sort Mm. of pick out for you and you do these interviews, people say, Mm. you know, what about the Test Century or the Mm. Shield wins? And, yes, they are massive moments of a career, but I actually think it's been like the shared moments with mates, either, you know, after a game on the circuit, of course, um, or, <laughs> uh, you know, great partnerships with, you know, I remember vividly one of my finest memories in cricket is, is batting with George Bailey at the Wacker, and I think we put on 200, and, you know, so we're best mates just having a ball, and then we went to a concert that night and, you know, <laughs> just living life. Just a great loving day. It. Uh, it was. It was like the greatest day of my life. So um, it, was, it was like in these vineyards in the in in per out, out on the outskirts of Perth, and we're driving back at midnight. Dool's was on his way to scoring test hundred on the radio. It's like all yeah. these perfect alignment um you know, it's moments like that that I actually reflect on and and think geez i've I've, I've had it pretty good so yes, yeah you know, the shared memories and and efforts mm. of shield wins um test wins that that kind of thing you know is still at the forefront of my mind, but it's probably the the moments of being proud of. Mm-hmm. People who have been on the canvas and pick themselves up, and you know you're out in the middle when they get a hundred or similar, you know hundreds. If if you'd been battling and you know you piece it together, huh. um, so it's it's the, probably my point being. and I've rambled a bit. Um, it's the moments do that you don't really recognise that that tend to be the ones that that people do yeah. internally.
3: I mean, how do you want to be just such a basic reflection question, but like, how do you want to be remembered? I mean, you, you were always respected as, I guess, a, a voice of reason and rationality in a world of rigs and maximums, <laughs> you know, a, a thinking cricketer, um, you know, who wasn't afraid to kind of, you know, say what he thought about cricket and the setup. Um, so, how do, how you know, if people were, let's, let's, God forbid, you know, if someone was to write an obituary on Ed Cowan right now and in his impact on cricket, what do you think that would be or, or how would you like it to be?
6: It'd be a short one. Well, um, <laughs> I think if if someone wrote, good team man, decent player, hard to get out, um, you know, loved hanging out with him, I'd be mm. pretty happy.
2: Lovely. I thought I thought I thought you might get in the that you hit five sixes at Rabio yesterday, which you were pretty desperate for me to find out about, or organically just by going on my cricket. Like I wasn't going to do that anyway. Like I like I always I was, do. By on sending something. you a photo
6: with the, high, with the highlighted bit that I did yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Have a look at this, mate. Might want to mention this on the podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, I thought that I thought that might be the opportune moment that you might bring that up. That Ed Cowan now hit sixes and he's available for the IPL circuit, even though Martin Guptil can't get a gig, but. But Ed Cowan, left hander—that's that's the secret. Um, Ted, I, I mean, this <laughs> is all hander, so,
6: and leg spin. Oh, fourteen straight the other day. We're not CC talking down about down your down leg down. spin, so, mate.
2: <laughs> You're not coming on my podcast and talk about your leg spin. <laughs> my podcast. <laughs> Own everything. I mean, well, this, is all, this is all. This is all. This is all about you know roundabout way of like you know asking you you know where meeting the great cricketers comes in your career. Like, would it be top five? Would it be a podium? Um, what, are, what are your thoughts?
6: Look, one of my reflections has been gratitude towards the people that I've met in the game. There are people that are now in my life, you know, probably more in your case, more than I'd probably like. That um, <laughs> I wouldn't owned if cricket, you know, if if cricket wasn't a thing for me. So, you know, you are the, there's just so so many friends I've met along the way that you know randomly that otherwise wouldn't have happened. So. But, you yes, know, top five, that's ridiculous.
2: You're <laughs> <laughs> <like>, top 20. <laughs> All right, well, tell he me. Is broad you, church. You're, you're someone who's played.
6: Never buy a beer. Here he goes. I want say, would you like a beer? Yeah,
2: mate. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah, i have another one. i have another one. <laughs> buy, buy a few beers and <laughs> see those
6: friendship guys.
2: Well, this definitely won't make the final edit. Um, you've you've played against South Africa, Ted. You've obviously scored hundred against uh, South Africa as well, mate. There's some of the stuff that's been going on recently. Obviously, the sledging is like a big thing. But like, well, I think you've come on the show before, and you've actually said that these countries are so similar, and they're one of the guys that you can actually have a beer with after the series. Like, but right now mm-hmm. the tensions just seem extraordinarily high. Like, do you? I mean, some of the guys who are in this current team you would have played with and against uh, the South African team. Like, does this surprise you, what's going on, you know, sledging-wise at the moment?
6: doesn't seem like that we're having too many castle lagers together after the series. Uh, <laughs> but they probably will. Hard but fair, mate. you got to play hard but fair and have a beer with them after. Yeah. And, uh, mm. I know I called you fat and useless, but have this and get this down You me going. Yeah, well, mate. yeah, 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 mate. Till next time, yeah, we'll play. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, what was the question?
2: Like, <laughs> like, are, are, you, know. are you surprised? Are you surprised that these go, like, everyone hates each other?
6: Uh, it's just not a good look, is it? I'm not, I mean, am I surprised? Yeah, I am a bit surprised. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be like this. You know, I think, mm. why, and I have no r- idea why it's got to this point. So, I'm not there. I don't know what's been said. Mm. So, it's, mm. it's hard to comment, but... Mm. As I said, though, previously these two teams are actually usually teams that do get on there. There's always a little bit of tension because it's a big series. They're you know, probably the yeah. two better teams in the world in their in their own yeah. conditions. So. Yeah.
3: It's, it's just not a good look. It's been a good test match, this one, though. Yeah, it has just been. So. No. I, I completely agree. So, as I said, off Eddie, Ed, we've got some listener questions. We put it out there. You've obviously retired this week, and we wanted to put it in the hands of the listeners because you know, there's a lot of people out there that love you and have asked some strange mm. questions and mm. some interesting questions, so we'll get Hit through me. them. I'm good for it. Uh, well. This one comes from an actual cricketer, mm. Ben Dunk. Um, he says, maybe ask Ed how he got back to the hotel after day four of the Shield game in Alice Springs in his last year with Tasmania. <laughs> Thoughts?
6: I was nude. Right. And how did you like, become nude? Uh, I got myself nude. Like, there was no force. You know, I just oh, I had applied. a few, a bit briefly. You know, you know the, there's something about, you know, going loco. It, it applies when you're in the Northern Territory. You just go yeah. a, a, just a little bit Tropicana. And I had a few beers, and next minute, nude, walking the street. I wasn't the only nude person cruising around Alice Springs, to be fair. <laughs> but um, <laughs> thankfully, I just had a little, you know, stubby. That's all I need, just to, to cover the, the appendage. Um, and walk back. Throwback um, or real? No, nah, throwback. Just right those down. little ones. Those little...
2: Yeah, a little 200 mil. All right, strong start uh, for these questions from the fans. Uh, Next one is, uh, uh, please don't mention my name on the air. I met Ed Cowan briefly at the airport as he was departing. I mentioned I was part of the Ed Cowan Appreciation Society. He seemed genuinely thankful. It was an eclectic group of cricket fans bonded over our appreciation of OME, our man Ed, and his approach to the game. Um, That's not a question, but that's that's just a nice message. Do you remember that encounter at the airport?
6: I do absolutely remember. He was a customs officer. I had a long chat to him. I didn't actually know the group existed. It was a bit embarrassing. I've since joined it, obviously, and uh, post regularly. <laughs> <him>. um, yeah. <laughs> Started it, yeah. Um, lovely group of people.
3: It's not unsettling that there's a secret society of men. I bet they're uh, all men who have bonded over your approach.
6: Over the years, I've, it fair I've helped my fair amount of criticism, so it was nice to have someone or a group of people, albeit small, show some appreciation, I must say.
3: This one is from David Brooker. I played for Sydney Uni and Ed ran fielding one pre-season training session. He didn't talk or make eye contact with me as I was in fifth grade at the time. Still seemed like a nice bloke and helped improve my fielding. It's, again, Who's it's not bloke? a question. His name's David <laughs>
2: Who's <Hulman>. this bloke? <laughs> 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 I've heard him. <laughs> 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 Perfect. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, Andy Nixon says, can you ask Ed what is his favourite national song? He's my second favourite Aussie cricketer. Ponting's number one. After seeing he was at their concert recently, he's got substance. He's got substance. And then a comment.
6: Mandela, cry, babe, cry. <laughs> oh yeah, great closer! It's a
2: great yeah, so closer. That's the, extra,
6: that's the concert that uh, Bales and I saw in WA as well. That's one of the best ever. Two hundred in the middle. Yeah. Mm.
3: It's a three front. All right. I like two more, um, two more "Mistaken for Strangers" because it reminds me of getting brushed in great cricket. Like you get mistaken <laughs> for strangers by your own friends. <laughs> Just cricket. It's
6: great
2: line. Uh, uh, all right, Tenz. Uh,
3: we got two more. Moving along. uh, This one's from Abby. Uh, Hi, great Cricket. I love your writings and podcasts and the humor insight you provide. (laughs) Whoops. We shouldn't have left that in. Looking forward to your episode with Ed Cowan.
6: This is is Sam (laughs) Perry.
3: Anyway, I have a close encounter of the Cowan kind to share. For my year 10 major English essay, almost 4,500 words, I chose Ed's book In the Firing Line as my text for analysis. Being 15 years old at the time, I posted about it on Instagram and have been honoured in the three years since Ed not only wanted to read the essay, but has been, along with his family, friendly and kind to my entire family and I whenever we have seen him at New South Wales matches. This is probably confirming many intellectual cricketer stereotypes, but the one I'd like to confirm most is that Ed Cowan is a thoroughly good bloke who is generous and thoughtful in cricket, Abby. Again, not a question, and he's done the in cricket thing, which is questionable, but no, nice sentiment from Abby. Hmm.
6: Read the essay. Protect it. She got Thoughts a on
3: plus. it?
6: A-plus. That was fantastic. She
3: what was the together. question, like, what, what was the kind of prism, I guess, that they were analysing yeah. the book through?
6: Um, I can't yeah, We're talking three or four years. It was probably four years ago, where uh, I think you know, it was, you know. like, so, you know, thematic, you know, yeah, talking about the thematics of overcoming adversity and, you know. Yeah.
2: Change change. Yeah. All right. Uh, exactly. So this is this is the last one. This one's from Joe Robinson and he says for Ed Cowan is George Bailey the best test captain Australia never had. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I
6: love, you know, my affection for George <laughs> it's come up. Wouldn't yeah. you could say is George Bailey
2: the best prime minister we've never,
6: you know, like <laughs> yeah. just start anything in there. and I'll say yes.
2: <laughs> Um, all right, Ted. Well, I know you're short sure for time. We've got you during a dinner party that you are hosting, which neither of us were invited to, but um, I'm not bitter about that at all. Um, mate, I just want to say congratulations. You know how cricket
6: takes you away from all these family functions, like all the <laughs> weddings, parties, you name it, you retire, and then here I am on the you know, giving up a family night to talk to you folks on a Sunday.
2: Let's talk about great cricket. Um, mate, uh, you've obviously got, the, you obviously got the tripod coffee business. You're obviously involved with um, Banning for Change, uh, looking after Ryan Carter's... Uh, role there as he goes overseas I mean like you obviously got your media commitments as well you are obviously coming on this show eight times a year um like what's what's going to keep you busy apart from you know hitting balls at Sydney University
6: <laughs> no there's plenty, plenty in the in the wings
2: he goes it's time to to get a real job so I'm I'm working through that and hopefully uh
6: July 1 I'll I'll find somewhere to to start yeah.
2: Mate, that's 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 awesome, Have mate. You <laughs> that's awesome, mate. And as ever, we we thank you sincerely for all the time mm. you've given to us and all the kindness you've shown for us during your playing days, and hopefully that continues um, for many more years to come. Thanks, as ever, mate, for coming on the show, and no doubt we'll be speaking to you again soon.
6: I hope so. I hope you don't brush me now. But I'm like one of those past players. Head <laughs> 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 to us. No social capital.
2: Exactly Don't uh, Thanks oh, a lot for that, mate. Later. I appreciate it. Bye Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, mate. Bye. I don't play cricket for results.
4: I don't come to take wickets, score runs, or win games. I play cricket to look good. Rigs, chests, pipes, circuits, salads. This is my domain. So when I hit the sheds, I need to radiate success. That's why I use Chop King Cologne by TGC. With a blend of the finest handcrafted English Willow and Kookaburra Red King leather, Chop King Cologne lets me radiate cricket. Whatever the ground, whatever the circuit. King Cologne. The new fragrance for men by TGC. Reek of runs without hitting them.
2: An absolute treat to talk to. Best friend of the show. We just want everyone to be our best friend on the show. I don't care if it's Budgie Smuggers. I don't care if it's Dan Bredig. I don't care if it's Ed Cowan. Everyone's just a really good friend and that's why you play cricket, to make friends. Uh, Sam Perry has joined us back onto the show uh, just in time. For hashtag ask TGC, I say it's my favourite time of the week, and it often is um, when you get the good questions. I know, I know we asked listeners uh, for some from Ed Cowan-related questions this week, and and, uh, and of course we did ask for hashtag ask TGCs. We've got three quite longish ones here today, but I think you're going to enjoy these today, lads, so let me kick this off with... Justin Hall who says hi guys long time listener first time messenger I was just seeking some clarification on a situation generally speaking I bat number five occasionally number four with an average of 37.5 and I feel that square leg to square leg this weekend we had the chance to qualify for finals and we only needed 155 to win from 40 overs however I had my university graduation and decided to take the weekend off assuming my teammates could get the job done uh, after they were one for 50 off six overs. Upon completion of the graduation ceremony, I checked my phone to a barrage of messages that there was an almighty collapse of six for 18 and we had eventually fallen 60 runs short. The boys had abandoned me. Not one return call or message. Even the Twitter mentions had fallen by the wayside. I just wanted to know if my decision was justified considering I achieved the elusive GCC. GCC graduation circuit with a far superior and intellectual university mates and chop with a uni bird I've had my eye on for three tumultuous years cheers lads excellent question justin mm. hall so lads was he justified by getting his uh, his own version of the triple c the gcc uh, in his life and and by missing uh, you know the chance to make finals with the boys
3: oh he goes what a question i never even considered going out after my graduation or graduations plural mm um Mm -hmm. it was just a formality you know you turn up you walk on stage (laughs) shake hands have maybe one glass of champagne on the quadrangle and you're done by 3 p.m but i think your teammates are just jealous of you the the lack of responses Mm -hmm. you know because you have achieved the holy trinity of life i mean we talk a lot about Mm -hmm. the ccc nothing beats the
1: century don't get me wrong but that feeling subsides by tuesday when you have a shit net Mm -hmm. A a lot of narratives are based on that idea of um escaping uh, you know, escaping your local community, escaping your local town, escaping prison, mm. uh, and I think this is quite similar <laughs> to that. <laughs> this is, I mean, essentially Justin's gone on to pastures new. He's completely correct to say, yep. you know, he's two two roads have diverged in a wood there. For Justin, yeah. he, he can see yeah. the um, collapse in the final and then he can see mm. a graduation circuit chop. Yeah. Um, mm. He's absolutely taken the, the right decision. He's sort of implying, slightly arrogantly I might say, that were he at the game with his average of 37.5 and he has put the decimal <laughs> place in there as well, <laughs> yeah. that the, the result would have been different were he there. Um, yeah. You guys are six for 18. Um, presu- you know, Your friends <laughs> text you after cricket. I'm presuming that you would have been caught up in that collapse as well. Yeah. So all the more reason I would say... To have um, gone to their graduation, um, I, I
2: sort of, I sort of touched on this point last week, and I was doing some more research on it this week. But I just there's sort of like this this philosophical experiment, and it's called the think tank. Now, bear with me here, boys. Um, hmm. So this thought experiment was proposed by philosopher, uh, I think his name was Robert Nozick, or words to that effect, or words that names that effect. <laughs> um, and the idea of this think tank or this thought experiment was to refute the philosophy of ethical hedonism. Um, and so hedonism mm-hmm. suggests that the only thing that matters in, is human pleasure. That's all that matters. And the mm-hmm. only thing um, that should that it should exist is anything that maximizes pleasure. Um, so if hedonism is as suggested according to this Robert Nozick guy, um, then everyone would immediately elect to plug into the experience machine. So the experience machine was basically like you go into a lab and you talk to these scientists and you say, "Give me the perfect life," and they, or they ask you what your what your perfect life is. Mm. And I sort of touching on this last week. Like, it, if you had the perfect life, would that involve, you know, playing cricket? You know, you could play 150 Test matches for Australia, averaging six million if you wanted to. You could fly if you wanted to. Anything was possible. And once you plugged into the machine, you would have no memory of ever going to in this experiment. It would just be normal to you. So. And Nozick um, hit the conclusion of this. Uh, thinks like Nozick said that most people wouldn't go into the machine because yeah. um, proving that that there are things that humans value more than their own pleasure, and that pleasure for the sake of pleasure leaves us lacking uh, something that's important. So, like going through all the trials and tribulations as is experienced in any great cricket season, I think uh, is what Robert Nozick was uh, was concluding is important, mm. um, and I think. That's my point.
3: I know we love to uh, stretch uh, uh, metaphors on this show, but I think that is hmm. the biggest stretch I've ever encountered <laughs> in my he life. Goes, and he goes, yeah. "You spent too much time
1: on Wikipedia today." Um, yeah. Are you, he goes, "Are you all right?" That is rare. <laughs>
3: That's fucking rare from you, mate. That's
1: the rarest thing I've ever heard you fucking say. Me. So, uh, should he have played or not? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. He sh- yeah. So he. So he should have played. He should have played is what I'm saying because oh, he's yeah. like he's, he, he thinks he's got happiness by going to the graduation and having sex with a woman who he's had his eye on for three years. Mm. Um, but in actual fact, he should have been in the batting collapse.
1: Um, yeah. What we've just said to you is extremely unfair as well, he goes, given that like we all encourage each other to go as wild yeah. and tangential as possible. You're <laughs> merely doing what we agreed. Yeah. And as soon as you've done it, we've just... Cuckold with
2: you. No, I'm all for it I wasn't even aware. I wasn't even watching. All right. Um, Question asked, and I don't think answered, Justin. Uh, Richard Kenner writes in using the hashtag said, and he says, lads, long-time listener, first-time AskTGCer. I'm in a desperate need of some life advice, which is one of the best things that you can do and come to this. Hashtag RCG segment. Mm. Um, I've been living in the Midwest of the US for the last couple of years. As you can imagine, cricket is not part of the overly indulgent sporting diet over here. So much so that I've been reduced to catching Pakistan's Super League highlights on ESPN8, the Ocho, (laughs) to get my cricketing (laughs) fix. During one of these late-night guilty pleasure sessions, I came across a poorly-produced and acted commercial for Cricket USA, safe to say Spielberg or Ron Howard were not involved. It got me thinking, maybe I pulled the plug prematurely on my fledgling cricket career. After five years of lower-grade cricket in Sydney, including Colts, yuck, followed by seven years playing cricket in the sauna that is Singapore, which can only be described as a human rights violation, I saw my move to the US as a convenient excuse to finally hang up the spikes. But something snapped in me that uh, that late and lonely night on the couch. I spent the next two hours go- googling the various different cricket associations and affiliations in the Midwest. To my surprise, I discovered multiple local clubs in my home city of Cincinnati. With our first child on the way, should I continue with this madness and risk my future sanity, as well as the future of my young family, or should I seek professional help for this horrible disorder? Thoughts? <laughs>
3: Ah, oh, well, firstly, massive congratulations, it Sticks, on the news. Um, I did watch him mm. play in one match in Singapore when I was over on a business trip, and it was fucking village. It was just a bunch of bloated blokes trying to relive their youth while hiding from their wives. Good blokes, though. Uh, I like that he's only given two options here. He's just said, I either pursue cricket or I seek professional help. Mm. Mm. Is that the only two <laughs> options available to him? I either play <laughs> well, cricket or I go to the doctor.
1: <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because when you think about like moving to the Midwest, you just think of how great all the different sport over there would be. Like, why would I want to enmesh myself within cricket when I'm as far away from the game culturally and geographically as possible? But then again, I think about how good the USA one-day kit would be at the World Cup. You know, like maybe Rishi mm. could play a World Cup for the USA, I say, you know, just completely disrespectfully right. to every other cricketer in the US. But, like, <laughs> I, I mean, maybe that would be good. Like, it, it might be a shortcut way to being a pro sportsman in the US, which is one of the ultimate dreams. Um, so so pe- well, pa- perhaps you should take it back up.
2: I think my big takeaway from this is that we've finally beaten Robbie Williams and we've cracked the US market. Um, Sean Herbst writes in for the last hashtag ICJC of the week and his question is a very uh, long and thought-provoking one, but I think it's worth discussion. He says, hashtag I up until the late 90s, a girthy behemoth of a human was the archetypal alpha rig. Being able to sink piss, (laughs) spin low brown yarns, and compare sizes simultaneously in the change rooms was the economy of the alpha, and stocky rigs were were the currency. Anyone who actively worked on sculpting chiseled pipes and cared about their appearance was a fucking rare unit. Fast forward to the 2000s, and the tables have turned. The girth boom had busted. Stocky rigs were no longer in demand. In fact, a bit of pudge was now deemed as sloppy, better, a beater even. The contemporary rig was in, and it wasn't long before even, uh, every change room hierarchy was com- uh, commanded by a chop connoisseur resembling Tyrigosaurus Rex. That's rare. Uh, The question is, were these evolving attitudes reflective of global change of outlook post 9-11? The shift Mm. from blasé border control measures and tolerance of security mediocrity to the precise, calculated and fear-driven regimes that followed can be the only explanation. After all, the fine-tuning of rigs that preceded was uncanny, and nothing strikes fear into an oppo change room more than a collective of alpha rigs. As such... Mm. Do we ever Osama Bin Laden to thank for cultivating a cultural ple- appreciation of glorious rigs? Do Australia mm. owe Al-Qaeda for the production of Watson, Simons, Marsh and Stoyness? Is James Sutherland the cricket equivalent of George W. Bush? Who is the rig mastermind? Should I spend more time on my degrees and less on hashtag RTDCs? Any answers
1: will be carefully considered. Regards, Shane. Mm. Lots to consider there. I mean, firstly, Yes. Uh, in entirety yeah um i think there's an australian identity issue within there as well but i'd never considered that australian identity had ultimately been shaped by um osama bin laden's heinous actions and i'd never made the connection between bin laden and Stoyness before but now that i think about it i think uh Shane Herbs, I think you call him Sean Higges. Um, oh, do. I? Sorry, that's, might be on something. No, that's all right. It's yeah, Alpha, alpha I, play, play. I
3: agree. I mean, yeah, the Al Qaeda attack obviously had a huge impact on the world, and you know, it shaped American foreign policy for the next decade and so etc. But I think um, <laughs> the, it, now that I do think about it, you know, it, it makes sense because I think I was, it was about eighteen months down the track that Warney got busted for taking a diuretic to look good. So that mm, was less, you know, mm, less than two mm. years after nine eleven. So that can be directly attributable to the nine eleven terror attacks. And I think the metrosexual <coughs> movement started around then. You know, mm. queer eye for a straight mm. guy. It was a new era of masculinity. Mm. You know, a, a new rig, mm. a wax sculpted, honed—not outdoors, but in mm. like a fitness first gym, paying thirty dollars a mm. week to do biceps and, and chest four times a week. That's all directly attributable mm. to nine eleven.
1: Mm. And and I suppose in the spirit of understanding that rig. Um, but Riggs is, is like fashion. Riggs are like mm. fashion, you know, so things go in and out. What are the political machinations going on right now, what with the Trump era, etc. cetera? Mm. Uh, and what impact will that have on Riggs? Uh, down the track. Will we see a return to the more sort of Cameron Smith-style rig, yeah. perhaps not as defined abs, but but hairy chest, hairy strong chest back to the stocky rig? I mean, the world is undergoing um, – is reacting to globalisation at the moment, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're actually trying to shrink. <laughs> if you look at Brexit, if you look yeah. at what the US is doing um, <laughs> in relation to Mexico and everybody else, every, pe- people are actually moving back into – the. Um, they're they're, well, they're trying to shrink. <laughs> Just say that again. Will will the shrinkage, politically speaking and societally speaking, result in people going back to a sort of a more uh, sort of an old school style of rig? <laughs> Thoughts? Well, I think
2: I think that I think this all comes down to minimalism, Pez. And I think for right. for generations, people have been trying to you know. A lot of people don't want to get big. They just want to tone. And that's, and that's what Brex is. It's just, it's just, trimming, mm. it's just trimming down. You know? I want to say trimming of the fat, but I feel like that's a metaphor that people can, mm. can, can draw and stretch too far, and that's mm. not what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think people just want to stand on like, those vibrating machines and just have like a band around their waist or like, around their thighs and just you know, spot-reduce fat. People are always trying to mm. spot-reduce. That's not how it works. You have overall change. Mm. What I'm saying is, is yeah. I think the wall's going to go up and Mexico is going to mm. have to pay for it
1: well sorry he goes Is i th- would have thought brexit meant chest and pipes were out and that kind of uh like brick laying strength was in Do yeah you know I, I, mean? I think like, i think t-
3: brexit and trump equals like bruce willis in die hard like a, a white fucking tank top with like hairy shoulders and like a big chest mm, yeah that's what i think brexit mm. is so it doesn't make sense yeah to me whereas like spot- whereas the
1: metrosexual movement and the and tonage, edge, etc. That was more Eurocentrism.
3: Obama, I think, it, yeah, oh no? 0- eight, like post GFC, you know, regeneration, the Democrats in power, um, you know, a, a greater global appreciation of America, and now we're going back to yeah. protectionism and so forth, um, border yeah. security, etc. That just to me screams Bruce Willis in Die Hard rig.
1: Brexit is old school Alpha, the old style yeah. of Alpha, isn't it? Yeah. Trump is old Alpha. Brexit is old Alpha, and therefore the stocky rig might be coming back.
3: Have we? Is yeah. yeah. Did I answer okay, that? Yeah. He goes. Is convulsing. He is, uh,
2: and that's and that's the end of the show. Maybe forever. I'm not sure. Thanks, as ever, for tuning in. Dan Brady was on the show. Ed Cowan was on the show. My name is Ian Higgins. I'm signing off with Sam Perry, and Dave Edwards. We'll see you again next week. Who knows what we're going to be talking about? Probably sledging again.